just real quick, we were in Isaiah chapter 40, and we will be in Isaiah 40 again, but just uh, really looking at verse 31 today. But we realize that chapter 40 is a, a chapter of comfort to the Israelites because God has shared with them, because of their lack of faithfulness, their, their lack of obedience, that God was going to give them a wake-up call. And that they were going to go into captivity for 70 years to the land of Babylon, the land of Persia. And, uh, you know, that was going to be a horrible thing. They're going to leave their homeland. But chapter 40 is that God's in charge and they will come back. It doesn't matter who the king of Persia is at the time. God's in charge. In the 70 years, they're going to be able to come back. And, and so we looked at that and just saw how, how God is in charge. We, we looked at those passages of Scripture that says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth that the Lord is the Lord of all creation? And His thoughts, we're not even sharp enough to understand. We cannot fathom the greatness of God. But what we do is that we put our trust and our hope in the Lord. And we will be renewed. Our strength will be renewed. And we also you know, just kind of encourage one another, just like um, the Kellogg's Corn Flakes slogan, where it said that taste them for the first time again. The idea of, you know, be wowed again. Well, we need to taste the things of God for the first time again. Sometimes we just need to realize that we're not looking, we're not seeing all that God is doing, and God just continues to bless us. And then we also focused on Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, where it talks about God's power that is within us. And this power of God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine. We need to be faithful and live according to the Lord. And so we, we continue with the wow factor, and I want to thank you for your stories after church last Sunday, your wow stories. And just had a wow story just before I came up uh, with the missions team of what's going on there in Taiwan. But I thank you for your story. And, and some of the stories were just, uh, hey, you know, I realized those, those things that happen daily are, are from God. I just realized that God is working in all these things. And some of you had some big stories that you realize, and I'll use this term that's been used for a long time, you knew it was a God thing. You knew the outcome of the situation that you faced, your family faced, that God's hand was upon that. And so, thank you. Matter of fact, another thing that I appreciated as far as the, the, the wow factor and, and your all's response to it, I was at Walmart yesterday, and I'm checking out, getting ready to, to leave. I've already paid, and there's somebody in line. They holler out, hey, can I get a wow? And I look, hey, that's not too bad for, you know, being at Walmart, and somebody remembers the sermon from Sunday. And so, so that was encouraging as well. And so today we continue as we, we look at just being wowed by God. Have you ever had an aha moment? You know, one of those moments that the light clicks on, and you go, of course, that makes sense. 
I had one of those aha moments a few years back. I was down at the Kaimichi's, the, the men's gathering in southeast Oklahoma, and uh, Boyce Moten was, was preaching. And, and I want to take a little time right now and just uh, say I need to give Boyce Moten credit because of his writing and, and some of the things that I've read of his and, and heard him preach. He did some of the research that motivated today's message, and so I wanted to give him credit for that. But I had this aha moment. He was talking about the song, The Battle Hymn of the Republic. And I've, I've sung that song many times in choirs, in men's quartets, uh, in church. But I didn't realize that the Battle Hymn of the Republic was the battle hymn, the battle song of the Republic. And you say, well, duh, it says it in the title. But it was the battle song for the federal troops, the northern troops, in the war between the states. It was their song. And this light clicked on, and oh, well, now I get it. Why my friends who grew up in southern states couldn't understand why we sang that song in church. Because they said, well, why don't you sing I wish I was in the land of cotton, you know, in the land of Dixie? Because, see, to them, this was just a battle song. And, and, and so I started to understand where they're coming. They weren't being mean about it. It just didn't make sense to them to sing a battle song from American history. And so when you think about the, the origin of the Battle Hymn of the Republic, it, it's a pretty amazing story. You, you got to go back before the war between the states, and there was a, an abolitionist named John, John Brown from Kansas. And John Brown, he started out rather, uh, you know, peaceable as far as his um, campaign against slavery, but then it started to go to extremes. And through the years, people have studied his life, and they, they figured that um, because there were traits of insanity in his family, that probably his, his change in attitude may have been uh, some of those traits in his family. But he started out peaceful, and then it went to extreme. You probably remember in your American history, the, the Potawatomi Massacre, where he, he killed five pro-slavery people, and, and then his famous raid of the assault on the U.S. arsenal of uh, Harper's Ferry. And at Harper's Ferry was where he was captured, and he was, was tried, found guilty of murder and treason, and they, they hung him. And so, in the war between the states, the federal troops were singing a song around their campfires at night. They would sing a song... And the words were, John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave, but his soul keeps marching on. Well, Julia Ward Howe was at a uh, Union troops campgrounds one evening, and she could hear them singing this, and her preacher was with her. And her preacher said, Julia, why don't you come up with better words for that song, that John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave? Because she was already... Um, you know, a poet. She had many works out there already, and so he encouraged her to do that. In the night, she woke up, and she knew what was taking place. It was a God thing, because in her mind, 
were all the words, all the stanzas to the song that we have of the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And I don't want to go into a lot of music theory, but poems and songs have a meter to them. And so you just can't throw a bunch of words and, and add it to an existing tune. It's got to have the same meter. Just as, to give you an example, you can take the song Amazing Grace and you can sing it to the theme song of Gilligan's Island because it has the same meter, even though it won't have the same meaning to you by, by singing that. Or you can do Amazing Grace and sing it with the tune of the Eagles song, uh, Peaceful Easy Feeling from 1972, because the meter's the same. But here she woke up, and she had all the words to all the stanzas that fit the meter of this song that she'd been thinking about that night. And so she just said th this was a God thing. So the next morning, she shared all of this that God had revealed to her that night. And so the next night, that next night, the Union troops sang a different song. No longer were they singing around the campfire, John Brown's body lies a moldering in the gray. They were singing, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Had another aha moment some years back. Looking at that passage of scripture, Isaiah 40, verse 31. Now, when it's up on the screen, I'm not for sure if it'll be the King James, but I, I learned it in the King James. That kind of tells you how old I am. But I learned it where it, it said, They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. And that word wait is, is uh, such a key word as far as how you look at that verse. Now, in the English language, the word wait has various meanings. You know, first I would look at that verse and I'd say, okay, they that wait, okay, waiting upon God's timetable. And you know that whatever God's timetable is, it's perfect. So those who are patient and just wait for God's timing, they will renew their strength. That sounds good. You can preach that. But that's not what that word means in that verse. Or in the English language, we have the word wait, as in you go to a restaurant and somebody waits on you. There's a waiter and a waitress, meaning they serve. Well, that sounds good. Those who serve the Lord will renew their strength. You could preach that too, but that's not what that word means. In this verse, the word wait means to expect, to have confidence in the Lord. And then there's obedience on our part. So they that expect things to happen, and I'm not talking about Santa Claus here, but those who know that God is going to continue to wow you, that God is continually active in our lives, they will renew their strength. When you know that God is always working around you. And so, so many times we get discouraged as a church. Because, see, we don't expect anything to happen from the Lord. But those who expect things to happen, those who continue to be wowed by God, they will not be discouraged. They will mount up with wings like eagles. 
and then God gets the glory. How many of you have read or heard anything you know, over the years about a guy named George Washington Carver? Anybody heard of him? Now, what, what do you remember about George Washington Carver? <laughs> Invented peanut butter. There you We remember peanuts, right? What a sad statement. This man was a godly man. But we remember the silly peanut when it comes to his life. George Washington Carver was born in slavery down in southwest Missouri, around the Joplin area, near Neosho. Don't know exactly what year he was born because there was no records. So it was early 1860s. And he had many obstacles in his life, not only being born a slave, but he was kidnapped and separated from his parents when he was only one week old. He, he never knew his parents. Um, he was sickly. He had to overcome uh, you know, prejudice and poverty. He had no opportunity for a formal education until he was 12. But he longed to, to learn. And so he would sit outside of the schoolhouse, the schoolhouse he was not allowed to be in, and he would listen to the teacher because he just longed to, because he had all these questions. You know, why about all this stuff? Well, one day he, he's outside the schoolhouse and a lady who lives in the neighborhood, Mariah Watkins, comes up and sees him outside the schoolhouse and says, hey, what are you doing? What, what's your name? He hadn't been given a name. All he knew that was that people called him Carver's George. And Andrew and Mariah Watkins took him into their home and they, they raised him and helped him to, to take care of himself. And, and they, they gave him the name. No, your, your name's going to be George Washington Carver. And they could see that he just longed for an education. He had questions about why do flowers, some flowers are or, you know, blue, some are pink, why does it rain, why does it, you know, snow? He wanted to know the answers to these things. And Aunt Mariah, as he called her, realized that he was just going to continue to, to find these answers. And so she told him, said, you're not going to find what you're looking for in a school in Neosho or Joplin or Kansas City because what you're looking for God is going to reveal to you. God is going to be your teacher. And she said, and you're going to find God is going to give you these answers, but here's the challenge. As you know that God is giving you these answers, you tell the people what you have learned, but you tell them who taught you. You tell them that God is the source of your education. And she handed him her Bible. And that Bible is still on display at the George Washington Carver Museum in Diamond, Missouri. And he read from that Bible every day. And he put those eternal truths in his life. He believed and studied the Bible that it was the key to his success as a scientist and a botanist. That's why he took his Bible to his laboratory every day. And he was quick to give God the glory for all that he learned. Matter of fact, he called his laboratory God's little workshop. 
And until Dr. Carver came along, there was only three kingdoms. There was the animal, vegetable, and mineral kingdom. But Dr. Carver introduced us to a fourth kingdom, the kingdom of synthetics. And that kingdom is very prevalent in our lives right now. About everything you have involves synthetics. But Dr. Carver knew that, that God was the source of, of what, what he was wanting to learn. And so he prayed one day, said, Lord, give me an understanding of the universe. And he felt like God was telling him, well, it's too big. You'll, you'll never understand all of that. So Dr. Carver prayed, well, then give me an understanding of mankind. Again, he felt like God was saying, no, still too big. And so then he prayed, God, would you at least reveal to me the secret of the peanut? And he felt God was saying, yep, you can handle that. See, Dr. Carver really believed what Scripture says in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, where it says, If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. And see, at the time of Dr. Carver's prayer, of, you know, could you reveal to me the secrets of the, the lowly peanut? The, the peanut was, had very little commercial value. And so for two days and two nights, he locked himself in his laboratory and just let God do the God thing and just revealed to him and unfolded the secrets of the lowly peanut. And that's how he came up with this whole kingdom of synthetics. Ultimately, Dr. Carver came up with over 300 items that could be synthesized from ingredients in the peanut. And in 1921, he was summoned to Washington, D.C., to the Capitol. The House Ways and Means Committee wanted to hear about all of these discoveries that he had made. And, and so he gets there, and they see this older gentleman, shabby clothes, and, and they say, okay, well, you've got 10 minutes. And so he opens up his suitcases with these 300-some items. Starts taking them out. Well, 10 minutes goes by. He starts putting them back in the suitcase. They said, what are you doing? He said, you only gave me 10 minutes. They said, no, take however much you want, because we want to know what you have learned. And so for two hours, he shared with them all of these things that have been synthesized from the lowly peanut. And one of the congressmen said, well, how did you get all this information? He said, from a book. Said, what book? And he raised the Bible that Aunt Mariah gave him from the Holy Bible. There is so much in the life of Dr. Carver. I'd encourage you to, to read about his life and, and just his, his desire. He, he could have been a wealthy man. You know, Thomas Edison wanted to hire him for $100,000 a year, and he turned it down. He probably, they say, he probably made a total in his, in his lifetime probably $60,000.
Universities would send him blank checks because he came up with answers of, you know, rotating crops and, and you know, all this stuff. And they said, you just write out however much it was worth. He'd send it back. No, because he called the world God's just beautiful creation. This is the garden of God. And he didn't look at that he was extra special. He said, all you got to do is let God teach you. So he felt, why should I get all this money when you could get the same thing? Just ask God. And so George Washington Carver, a great man, though had tough times in his life, but he gave the glory to God. And on his grave it is written, he could have added fortune to fame, but caring for neither, he found happiness and honor in being helpful to the world. George Washington Carver lived with expectation that God can do great things. God can do immeasurably more than you can ask or think. And he lived his life in wow of God. See, we have a living God. Our God just didn't leave us here to fend for ourselves. We have a living God. See, Goliath in the Old Testament found that out. We have a living God when he was thinking he was going to beat the Israelites. And here comes this little David guy. Uh, he found out we have a living God. In the time of Moses, Pharaoh of Egypt realized we have a living God. In the time of Daniel, the kings of Persia found out we have a living God. That's why when Jesus is with his disciples, he says, who do you say that I am? As Simon Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. But church, does the world see that? That we believe that we have a living God, or do they see in us that we're deists? You know, yeah, we believe that God exists, but you know, God doesn't do anything in our lives. That is not how God works, because God is still busy doing things that, if our eyes are open, it will wow us. Now, I like what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 through 22. He says, do not quench the spirit, do, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but catch this. He says, but test them all. Do what is good and stay away from evil. But that test those things or prove those things. It's, it's the image of an assayer. You know, you, you take ore to the assayer and he would break it apart to see what the true ingredients are. The scripture is saying, hey, you want to you see what's going on in your life? Test it. And you will find there's a lot of God things going on in your life. And so the challenge is, are you looking? Test these things and you will find out what God is doing. Even the Apostle Paul lived a, a, a life of faith expectation. You know, a distinguished resume and tirelessly sharing the good news of Jesus in the Roman Empire. But consistently, he was pointing people that, no, what I'm doing is not my eloquence. It's the power of God. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, he says, My message, my preaching, is not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, 
but on the power of God. That same power that is within you, the same power that God is using in you is immeasurably more than you can even ask or imagine. God is working great and wonderful things in your life if you are faithful to his call. But do you expect God to do those things? That's why we get discouraged. You know, why, why was it that Noah built the ark? Because of a flood? No, because he knew God was going to do what he said. There was expectation. That's why he built the ark. Why, why was it? You, you've heard the song when you're a kid in junior church. You know, 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad and 2 were good. Now, that's only one hand, so that's only half the group. But there, there was, you know, 12 altogether. But why did they spy out the land of Canaan? Because of lack of faith. I really believe that they should never have spied out the land. Because it was the promised land. All they needed was to have a faith expectation. God had already said, this is yours. But they spied it out. And ten of them said, oh, we can't go in there. They have fortified cities. They have giants. But Joshua and Caleb said, well, of course we can go in there. Because God has already given this to us. Church, why is it that we used to be the central focus of a community and we're no longer? We used to have Sunday blue laws. We used to have it where schools did not have activities on Sundays or Wednesday nights because church had things going on. It's not true anymore, is it? Is it the school's fault? No. See, church, we just stopped expecting things. See, Wednesday nights used to be prayer meetings. We just stopped expecting but I want to encourage you this morning. And I want to piggyback on what Doug had to say in the offering time. Kentucky Road Christian Church and whatever that term means. Because that, that's, a, that's a big term. Because Kentucky Road Christian Church has existed for 55, 56 years. There's been a lot of people who have been a part of the ministry of this congregation. Your footprint of ministry is large. At Kentucky Road. There have been a lot of preachers, youth ministers, children's ministers, worship leaders, Bible college professors, missionaries, parachurch workers who have come from the teaching and encouragement of this congregation. There have been those that have sat in these pews and listened to the instruction. They have been down in the basement and had Sunday school classes and listening to the instruction of how to be faithful to God. And they're out serving the Lord. And they've been out. And, but, but not just that. There are those in this community who you have encouraged to, to use their talents and abilities in ministry, such as there are those who are helping with the physically and uh, developmental, the, you know, the mental disabilities group, helping them in, in just helping them in life. 
There are those who are helping out with food and clothing assistance. But again, sat in these pews and have been encouraged to use their talents for the Lord. There are Sunday school teachers who let their light shine every year to their classroom and realize that they can minister to each individual in their class. Just being used by God. There's civic leaders and those who are on the workforce who realize, hey, my job, that's my mission field. There are, there are people that I encounter every day, that's my ministry. And you continue to do that. And I do not want to leave out the fact that there, over the last 55, 56 years, there have been some great, wonderful Christian parents who have raised their children part of this congregation and having an impact on this world. And so, this church, you have Sunday school, youth programs, senior saints ministry, mops, missions teams, leadership roles. All of this is so valuable. And that's why your ministry footprint is so large. And I thank you. And you do that right now, just as you've done in the past. Now, there's been many moments in my life, sitting in the, the pews here, or being downstairs in Sunday school classes, receiving instruction, but not only just instruction of classrooms. I could spend a lot of time talking about individuals who set an example. And it could be simple words that they had to say that they don't even remember they said it. But they lived their life as an example. And they had an impact. So I want to encourage you to continue to do all this that you've been doing. Preparing for the future and never holding back. When I was in eighth grade, I'm going to, well, it was called the junior high then. That's um, Mexico Middle School now. But when I was in eighth grade, here we had a, a youth revival. And in eighth grade, I didn't you know, realize what an impact that youth revival was going to have in, in my life. You know, I didn't know at that time this organization that was coming to, to do the youth revival. And, um, but, oh, it, it was wonderful. It, it was an organization that was fairly new, only had been in existence for about six, seven years, at that time based in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The organization was called Christ in Youth. And that, that youth revival had such a huge impact on the, the whole congregation. But, but the youth group, we decided that we wanted to go to their summer conference that next summer in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. So we went, and, and I didn't realize, and I was thinking about it this week, that that, that one in 1975 was my first youth conference at CIY, and I've been to at least 25 since then. That ministry, that youth revival, had such an impact over the years. Well, and, and it's still, that ministry has an impact on what's going on here because you've taken kids to, to move and to believe and superstart, which is Christ in youth organization, their, their programs. But Christ in Youth was started by a guy named Bob Stacy. 
At the time, he was a professor at Ozark Bible College, Ozark Christian College in Joplin. And he just felt like God was calling him to start a ministry to, to reach out to teens. And so in 1968, he started Christ in Youth in Tulsa. And in 1970, he had his first organized summer conference, which is now the MOVE conference. And there were you know, 585 students, 585 teens who went to southeast Oklahoma to the Kaimichi Mountains for that first conference. This year, 2017, Christ in Youth will have over 100 programmed events in 11 countries. And this year, those who will attend those events will number over 60,000. And because of a guy named Bob Stacy, who wanted to be faithful to God's challenge and call on his life. Well, here's the thing that you need to know about Bob Stacy. As a kid, he had a tough time speaking to people. See, he stuttered and stammered. But he was determined because he knew God was going to do some special things in his life. And even today, Bob still struggles with, with his, his preaching and stuff, but he doesn't let that stop him. And, and so here's this guy who grew up, and he, he's been a Bible college president, uh, interim president. He's been an executive vice president of Bible college. He's uh, been a professor at three different Bible colleges. He's preached over 10,000 sermons. You know what his favorite word is? Wow. His favorite word. And when you know Bob Stacy, you know why. Because he just lives his life in wow of God. In those early years of Christ in youth, there was a phrase that fit everything that they did. And that was praise to him who specializes in the impossible. See, that's why Bob could say wow. Because he realized God specializes in impossible things. He can do immeasurably more than we can even ask or imagine. So let's be faithful. Let's just live our lives in expectation of what God is going to do. Hey, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, Greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. Live your life in expectation. And your strength will be renewed. And you will mount up with wings as eagles. You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and you will not faint. I don't know how God is going to call you. I don't know how God is going to continue to, to challenge you in using your talents and ability. It may be in some great powerful way. It may be in a magnificent message. It could be in the still small voice of God. But the thing is, you be faithful. Just as this congregation has been faithful all these years and your ministry footprint is incredible, but continue. I was thinking about it this week, how to close this message, and that is this. There, there's a ministry team in Taiwan right now from this congregation. Wouldn't it be great because of the impact of ministry of the Kentucky Road Christian Church, that someday 
people around this country, people around the world have missions trips to come to Mexico, Missouri to be a part of what's going on at the Kentucky Road Christian Church. Now, let that sink in. Did anybody think, oh, wait a minute, that won't happen? Ah, let God wow you. Remember, God can do immeasurably more than you can ask or think. So I thought of it. That means God can do even greater things than that. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for God to continue to wow you? So, taste the things of God for the first time again. And hang on. Because it's going to be pretty special. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your great love. We thank you for your gift of salvation. We thank you that Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings. And we also thank you for wowing us. Thank you for the strength that you give us. And Lord, I thank you for this body of believers. Kentucky Road Christian Church. May you continue to bless the ministry footprint of this congregation. And Lord, we're going to just continue to add story after story of how you're working in our lives. And we thank you. We thank you for that impact. And Lord, we enjoy being on those wings of Eden as you restore us. Wow, thank you. In Jesus' name I pray.